Welcome to Eye on Horror, the official podcast of iHorror.com. This is episode 52, otherwise known as season three, episode 16, with a question mark, because I think I didn't check those numbers, but I think they're right. Uh, I am your host, James J. Edwards, and with me, as always, is your other host, Jacob Davison. How are you doing, Jacob? Uh, doing good, and a few pounds lighter, I finally got my hair cut. <laughs> but you still have the longest hair of the three of us. Yeah, and uh, reduced capacity, but still, you guys like went full-blown shaved. I just got a trim. Hey, when you're doing it yourself, it's easy to just shave. <laughs> shave and be done with it, especially in the California summers. True, which seems to extend well into the fall. Uh, yeah, yeah, and it's going to extend even further and further as it gets warmer and warmer. Global warming. Okay, wait, we're, we're not getting... Pl- why, why do we always get political? Even before I've introduced him. Also with us is your other, other host, John Correa. How you doing, Correa? Doing well. You know, for the last uh, couple weeks, been starting my day off with this mashup of Charlie Daniels, Devil Went Down to Georgia, with uh, Cardi B and Megan the Stallion's WAP. And, like, <laughs> that's really been getting me through things. Like, uh Yeah. I, it's it's such a great note to start my day off with, you know, so. Whenever I need a little pick up, pick me up. Um, you know that the AV club did that, um, what was it? It was under the covers or something like that. They would do those cover, they would, they would choose bands to do cover songs. Oh, right. There's a Charlie Bliss version of Steal My Sunshine that whenever I need to pick me up, I just pop that on. It's on YouTube. Charlie Bliss, Steal My Sunshine. Listen for it. It's awesome. Oh, yeah. And they also did uh, Gwar covering Kansas's Carry On My Wayward Son. I love that one. That was great. That, that Gwar one was awesome. Gwar's yes. done a few because I feel like Gwar also did um, West End Boys, but then they turned it into Lots of People Have Died and it was all about Odorous. This is the post-Odorous Gwar. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So, I, I, uh, yeah, they did a few with them over the years. Yeah. Damn, now I'm going to have yeah. to go into that more. <laughs> a lot of those uh, have disappeared. There's really like only one season, which it has some good stuff. There's, um, I, I think they're called Big Moon, Dead Total Eclipse of the Heart, and um, The Regrets, Do Fox on the Run. There's there's some cool stuff, but I think there's only one season up. But anyway, now we're getting further away from horror than we normally do. And so quickly. <laughs> what have you guys been watching? What's happening at the drive-in? Yeah, well, uh, I think uh, me and Jonathan should talk about our first night at Beyond Fest. Yeah. Oh, my God. Was it? You, it was such a great night. Yeah, Beyond Fest, uh, for those of you who don't know, is uh, is like uh, one of the largest genre festivals on the West Coast, hosted by the American Cinematheque, which, uh, as of, which, of course, they couldn't hold at the theater this year due to the pandemic, so decided to uh, keep things going with their drive-in series by holding this year's uh, Beyond Fest at uh, Mission Tiki Drive-In in Montclair. And they started off strong with Brandon Cronenberg's Possessor. Uncut. Uncut. Yeah, yeah. No, they, they did emphasize it was uncut. Oh, was it ever. <laughs> <laughs> and, they, uh, and they double featured it. Brandon picked uh, the second film to follow it up, which was John Frankenheimer's Seconds. Starring Rock Hudson. Yeah. yeah. Which I had never seen before. And even and the mashup with the two, it, it was because I hadn't seen either films. And it's been a while since I've been to a double feature where I hadn't seen either film. And it was just such a great reminder on why going to the movies is so great. When you go see something on the big screen uh, and just end up walking away with one of your new favorite movies is... Oh, yes. It's such a great experience. It sucked going to work the next day because I didn't get home till like 1 <laughs> o'clock in the morning. 
but <laughs> yeah and uh love possessor uh and str- you know funnily enough i thought it was a great kind of companion movie to tenant which i was playing on the opposite screen uh to our lot uh but yeah no it's like a sci-fi thriller espionage movie starring andrea riseborough from mandy where she's like uh, an agent who uses this technology to have her mind implanted into the into the minds of others and commit assassinations and stuff and she's on a new case and it's but things start to go off the rails. I saw that Korea saw Tenet uh, the way Christopher Nolan imagined it, which is with somebody standing on their brakes in front of you at a drive-in. Well, oh, yeah. yeah, the previous weekend I saw it at the drive-in and this guy, like, it just kept beeping. And, like, I don't know what it is about the drive-in, but when people fuck up, like, I don't get angry like I do in a movie theater. I kind of laugh it off. It's like, ah, oh, this is kind of funny. And then it was, I think it was mostly the joke of, like, oh, the way Christopher Nolan intended it. Kept playing in my head, so I kept giggling. But after 10 minutes of it, I was just like, okay, I'm going to go say something. And, like, but the guy was super nice. I just walked up, knocked on his window, or did, like, you know, like in uh, Wayne world when he's like roll down your window roll down your window and he rolls it down i'm like hey can you every time you hit your brake your brake lights turn on can you stop that and he's like oh i'm so sorry i'm so sorry i'm like yeah dude it's all good he was <laughs> he was super nice but he was completely unaware but since then if my foot touches my brake while i'm at the drive-in i immediately i'm like oh shit sorry sorry, sorry! you know out my window <laughs> but but yeah no possessor was absolutely phenomenal like uh Brand, like brandon cronenberg definitely you know, it's the second one after uh, Antiviral, and he's established such a good, like, uh, voice and tone. You can see, like, a little bit of influence of his father, but that's almost unavoidable. Uh, but even so, like, he, it's definitely, like, a more separate thing. Jennifer Jason Lee also is in it, and she's phenomenal. Uh, oh, yeah. It was hard not to when the movie first starts because of its connections of, like, you know, uh, questions of like human bodies and technology and stuff. I was like, Oh man, is this kind of going to be like a spiritual successor to existence? Uh, (laughs) it wasn't, but, uh, it was a fun thought. (laughs) Have either you guys seen, and I may be opening a can of worms here. Do either you guys see antebellum? I, I have it rented and I was going to watch it last night, but I instead, we instead watched, I rented two movies. I rented that and the rental and the reviews for antebellum kind of, killed a lot of my excitement for it so um, i'm we're gonna watch it tonight that's why did, did you see it jacob no antebellum i, okay. have, I that, haven't watched it yet that's why i feel like i'm opening a can of worms i loved antebellum i thought it was incredible but it is getting skewered i feel like me and scott weinberg are the only critics who <laughs> liked antebellum it it i think it's brilliant i think it is genius i did not see the twist that they're saying don't give away the twist i did not see it coming now other people are saying oh i totally saw it coming and in retrospect there are clues but it came out of nowhere for me and it i mean this is oh it i it was a jaw dropper when it happened like it kind of it kind of creeps up on you slowly, and then when it makes it obvious, you're like, holy shit, that's what's happening. Oh my, it's, I loved it. I thought it was incredible. I don't understand all the hate it's getting. I, I'm really curious to see what you're going to think of it, because I loved it, and I can't understand why anybody doesn't love it, but I am definitely in the minority <laughs> of being a fan because it is it's getting skewered and i don't know why well tune in two weeks from now to find out what i think <laughs> <laughs> no 
what'd you think of the rental though oh man i i loved the rental like that one like um I, I was, uh, of course, excited for it. It's got my man crush in it, Dan Stevens, you know, so obviously, you know, it was already game for it. Um, and I knew next to nothing. All I knew it was just like a couple, like a bunch of people rent a rental. That's it. Um, I, I didn't watch anything for it. Or so, so it's not just a clever name. Yeah. <laughs> but like, uh, I, I thought it was, it was super solid. Like so much of the, I like movies where you almost forget that you're watching a horror movie for a while, you know, like uh, uh, Takashi Miike does that really well with audition where audition kind of plays out like a boring romantic comedy for a large portion of its run. And then all of a sudden it's like, Oh, Hey, here's something fucked up to bring you back to the horror. Um, but yeah, there was one point where uh, Lindsay turned to me and she's like, Oh, I forgot we were watching a horror film for a while. Cause it does, it plays out like a nice character drama and there's a lot going on with that. And you kind of get sucked into it. And one thing I really liked about it is the drama that was happening with all the characters was going on so well. I I didn't find myself personally liking a a lot of the characters, but it didn't matter. I was still sucked into their story. And I think that's hard to achieve is to have characters that are kind of unlikable, but still worrying about them, still sucked into their story, still going like, oh, no, here comes the thing that's going to kill them. And you and you still feel you're not just going, finally, they're killing that douchebag. You're like, oh, shit. <laughs> so I thought it was very nice. I thought it was really well done. Very tight thriller uh, that really amps up the horror in the in the in the last act. Like uh, that was. Yeah, I, I dug it. Like I was surprised that that was a first time uh, directing gig. Do you think James Franco is now going to be considered Dave Franco's big brother? Yeah, I, 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 I didn't want to say anything negative. You know, I try to stay away from the negatives. Uh, but uh, yeah, I have to say, I think I've enjoyed Dave Franco's one movie way more than anything I've seen James Franco direct. So uh, they can put that on the box. <laughs> they, can put, they can put that on the box art. <laughs> yeah, uh, yeah, just put that right on the cover. <laughs> Enjoy, I enjoyed this more than anything James Franco has made. <laughs> and this is how he becomes friends with Dave Franco. <laughs> Did either of you guys uh, watch Spiral on Shudder? Uh, not yet. It's on my watch list. Spiral's actually pretty cool. It's, um, it's basically about this mixed-race, um, same-sex couple who moves to this little town from the city to raise... They have a 16-year-old daughter. And, you know, the, the town is kind of outwardly welcoming, but under the surface, you can kind of see there's some hostility. And at first, you think it's just simple, you know, homophobia and, you know, hate crime kind of stuff. But then it's much more than that. So it's, it, gets, it gets spooky fast. It's actually pretty... It's, it's pretty well done. It's a little Lifetime movie-like, but... There, there's a point where it becomes less light, lifetime movie when it gets really spooky, but it's it's pretty uh it's pretty cool. It's a pretty fun little uh, excursion. Shutter, Shutter and IFC are killing it this year. I mean, oh, they're yeah. just em- they're embracing the fact that people you know have to go to drive-ins or have to stay home <laughs> because they're releasing good shit. Yeah. Uh, it- uh, sort of related, uh, Cinematic Void returned with uh, their Cinematic movie this week, and uh, I got to see Dark Knight of the Scarecrow, which I'd never seen before. Uh, have either of you guys seen it? No. Uh, yeah. Yeah. Uh, yeah. For those of you who don't know, it's like this, uh, t- it was this TV horror movie from the early 80s about, um, l- like this, uh, 
mentally handicapped uh, guy named Bubba who's friends with uh, uh, with this neighbor girl and and like when the girl's attacked by a dog like the like this angry mob bla- uh, blames him for the attack and uh, kind of uh, one thing kind of leads to another and they kill him vigilante style but then ter- but then they find out that it was you know a dog attack so they cover it up and make it look like that he attacked them with a pitchfork but he's hiding isn't he hiding in a scarecrow when he, they yeah kill him? he yeah he was yeah. hiding in the scarecrow when they find him and they executed him and they managed to get and they managed to avoid conviction at the trial but uh after that like they start getting picked off one by one and the telltale sign is like they keep seeing uh the scarecrow almost like it, it just kind of popping up in the background um and I, I was actually surprised it was really well made like uh it, it was generally generally creepy and also it's a halloween movie so it was just uh in the style <laughs> and i was also amazed with what they were able to get away with for a tv movie because oh. you don't you don't see a whole lot of gore but like the, like people die in like terrible ways like there's even one uh kill scene involving a wood chipper Nice. Back in the late seventies, early eighties, TV movies were allowed to be scary. I mean, you had the the original "Don't Be Afraid of the Dark," um, "Bad right. Ronald." I mean, th- these the woman in black. Oh yeah. Well, even Duel was a TV movie. All right. They were allowed to like scare you, but now it's like you know, unless you want to start your movie at ten p.m., you know, which who wants to do that, you know? But also, I think part of that might just be the culture of cable tv now if you want to make a scary movie you will go toward you know like either tbs or you know one of the or straight to like hbo also streaming seems to be the way to go with a lot of tv or tv movies nowadays yeah yeah but i but tv movies were kind of neutered before streaming became a big thing so i think it might be i mean i mean you're right a lot of made for tv stuff that is too risque either violently or sexually yeah they they just set it right to um but i mean it it ended well before i mean in the 90s is when i think they stopped making cool scary tv movies and there's a youtube channel um i think it's it's called like retro tv or something that has all those good all those cool tv movies i mean when michael calls and uh there's one with valerie harper called is night drive or something like that it's kind of like duel where she's getting followed by a, a creepy guy at night and and trilogy of terror was a tv movie yeah all right i mean man being a kid back then was so much fun because you know (laughs) they showed that stuff on tv and then you got tales (laughs) from the crypt too in the late 80s 90s i had to watch the neutered version on a and e growing up oh (laughs) yeah i watched the uh edited versions on the sci-fi channel actually i just watched uh the original 80s the woman in black for a second time since quarantine oh and uh, I don't know if I did. I talk about that in a previous episode. Um, I don't. I don't think so. I don't remember if you did. Well, if I did, I don't care because this movie's fucking brilliant. <laughs> I've watched this movie twice. It's just a perfectly, I get balanced, just like horror uh, ghost story where it doesn't, uh, it doesn't pop up a lot. Like, but when the woman in black does come up, oh my god, she is creepy. She's just like in the background of a shot for a little bit, and then like you know. They cut to the guy and they cut back. She's gone. They just do it so effectively, you know? And, like, uh, it's it's just so good. There's one scene where the main character is describing her eyes. And uh, I, of course, had all the lights out in the apartment. And I just, like, was looking around. And I'm like, 
I am genuinely creeped out right now. Because uh, <laughs> some of this is exactly what I was saying about her eyes when they <laughs> zoomed in on him. So, yeah. Uh, Woman in Black. I highly recommend that to everybody ever. We're going to move on because we have we have an awesome guest. But before we do that, I just have something, one more thing to talk about. And I think we talked about it off mic last time, but Benji, our guest last episode was talking about this movie called Murder Death Koreatown and I think it, it was not in the show but anyway he recommended if you like found footage and I watched it and yeah he's right it is it, it's weird because there's very little information about this movie like it's everything is anonymous on it and it's about a guy who basically one of his neighbors uh, murders her husband and then he goes kind of searching for clues about this murder and he uncovers way more than he should. Like there's like all these conspiracy theories and all this other crap. And what's creepy about it is, first of all, it's completely anonymous. The director and everything is anonymous, but also the murder's real. When you look it up, you can see this woman really killed her husband. And I don't know if this guy really did live in that neighborhood or if he just went there to shoot this. But the the interviews that he gets with other people in the neighborhood feel authentic. It's genuinely unsaid. There there are some that I think are actors. Like at one point he goes to a psychic and I think that's an actor. But he does talk to people like driving by in cars and walking on the street that, you know, he may have just, you know, Blair witched them and, you know, included the creepy parts of the conversation. But it's really... um, I won't say it's as convincing as Blair Witch because nothing is going to be as convincing as Blair Mm -hmm. Witch ever. But this is pretty... It's pretty creepy that i mean just the fact that it's based on something that you can verify and that's real is is really creepy so a murder death koreatown which should be your twitter name for uh <laughs> for halloween murder death koreatown <laughs> murder death koreatown maybe i don't know korean barbecue is pretty it's pretty good <laughs> no i mean your your twitter name not your twitter handle you got to keep korean barbecue forever yeah but you know how people change i think what are you aren't you jacob gravison right yeah, now jacob gravison yeah. yes you you know people change their names for uh halloween oh uh, yeah murder death koreatown i forgot what mine was last year i think i was uh james j of the dead words one uh, year but uh, uh I, I haven't changed it this year <laughs> okay nice uh this episode we have a, a special guest with us um we have brian duffield who is a writer and a director um he wrote uh the, uh, the babysitter and uh, and um underwater which we're excited about we love underwater oh cool and also his uh his new movie spontaneous is coming out so uh let's say hello to brian hi brian hello everybody hey brian hey hi hey let's get the obvious question out of the way early uh how did you get started in the business how did you know that you wanted to be a writer director and how'd you go about uh getting it done oh man uh well the brief version i guess is you know ever since i was a kid that's all i wanted um to do and then um that's what i went to college to do i had no fallback kind of things um and then in um you know i had been writing scripts kind of all throughout college and i couldn't get anyone to read them and then a buddy of mine when after i moved out to la uh gave one of my old scripts to um the dude who's now my manager um and and that was in 2010. So I guess I've been doing this for 10 years now. Now, 
Uh, James was understating how much we loved Underwater. <laughs> I know Jacob has seen it. How many times did you see Underwater in theaters? I saw it three times in theaters. Oh, wow. So it was all you. <laughs> <laughs> how many times since theaters? How many times total have you watched Underwater? I think I've watched it at least three or four more times since uh, I got it on home video. Well, that's cool. I appreciate yeah. the residuals. <laughs> <laughs> Happy to help. <laughs> that's awesome yeah Yeah, no uh yeah big fan like uh when it came out in theaters we were uh definitely rooting for it um and and plugging it on the show um yeah no just like we're big fans of aqua horror so we thought that really just hit all the right buttons for that uh you know from uh start to finish like we really dug it oh cool do you where do you guys live by the way there's a specific Uh, reason i ask well we're i'm in los angeles have you ever been uh, to Zombie was- Joe's on Lancashire? It's a you guys would love it. It's like a horror themed theater house. Um and every Halloween except for, you know, this year, they do a um Halloween show where you go in, it's all dark, you sit on the floor and um the lights come on like maybe like 5% and like a little silent horror scene plays out in front of you and then the lights go out. And they don't, it's not like there's no rhythm to when it comes back on or anything. But that was where um, I got the idea for Underwater was this crazy little playhouse on Lancashire. Um, Just because it was so fun and so scary and so dark. And that, but you're like cramped in with a bunch of other people, so you can't get away. So they were like run at you and like do other crazy, um, you know, sometimes it would be like really darkly funny uh, kind of stuff. And sometimes it would be like extremely inappropriate horror kind of stuff. Um, but that was, they never had like an underwater themed kind of sketch, but just that idea of like, you're kind of trapped in this little space and it's completely dark. And then there's just like a little bit of light that's like helping kind of illuminate creatures or whatever in front of you. Um, in the playhouse, it was so visceral. And I was like, I, I really want to figure, figure out what a movie version of this feeling is. Um, and so trapping a bunch of people in the bottom of the ocean felt like as close as I could get to that kind of nightmare feeling. So I'm, I'm really glad you guys dug it. I didn't, I, I haven't seen it in theaters cause it wasn't out long enough for me to get to it. So I need to, at some point I need to catch it. Yeah. I, I especially really loved how it was very like with the idea the, thematically, it was very Lovecraftian, but it wasn't cosmic, you know, like it wasn't like, Oh, this is from deep, parts of space it was very like no this is within our own realm this is you know underwater there's still a lot of mysterious stuff down there and for that it kind of made it a bit more grounded and yeah it's scary because it's like oh wow yeah no this is all just shit that's underneath us what struck me about it is it's not I mean, it's it's really tense really suspense it's i mean it's clearly a horror movie but you there aren't even monsters in it for the first two thirds it's just almost like a disaster movie and you're chewing your fingernails to the nub before you even realize that there are monsters right it's the worst place to be in the world <laughs> <You know? laughs> yeah. like it really it really was one of those things where it's just like you know beyond like caves because I, I think i would do really badly in like that like the descent i find really stressful oh yeah but like not like once the monsters come up i can hang um but like when they're all like tight and like that stuff like i i really struggle with watching that kind of horror um to a point where it's like not in, enjoyable but i like the idea of that claustrophobia so i felt like what the ocean floor gives you is you are 
trapped and you have that, but you're not, um, it's like a little bit more pleasurable of a viewing experience than like you're tightly stuck in like a <laughs> cave where you're, you could get stuck and just die. <laughs> Did you see Blair Witch from a few years back? Not the Blair Witch Project, Blair oh, Witch. Oh, Wingard's one? Yeah. Uh, yeah. Oh, the, the last Oh, when they're like crawling 20 out minutes of, the house? of that. Oh. Yeah, yeah, it's yeah, awful. Like or whatever. <laughs> it's a panic attack. It is. Oh, uh, yeah. That's yeah. That's terrifying. Yeah, that's like the only. I think that's probably the only horror I really can't engage. Like, it's if it's happening on screen, I just get like kind of instantly exhausted. Or I'm just like, there's there's no like horror, even like that like that fun sensation of that. Like, I'm just like stressed out, um, and I'm just like, I just want this to end. <laughs> <laughs> and uh that's another thing i really like about underwater is that it just uh just kicks off running like you know we just yeah. get like a few like a few minutes of setup and then just all hell breaks loose like, yeah and even that like, like just the script um because there's a you know a bunch of writers that came after me but the script started after um the earthquake um because i was just like let's we we all know why we're in the theater kind of thing like it's you know it's one of those things where it's just like if you know you have your actors you you're just you know those first couple of minutes you're just waiting for everything to go wrong um so i was just like let's just have it have already gone wrong and you're just <laughs> dealing with like you know because it's it's you know it's such a clean idea where like it's really bad if you're on the bottom of the ocean you know like you don't need to yeah. add too many complications to like you know oh but there's an earthquake or oh but there's it's like you know, I think audiences get like, oh, we just got to not be on the bottom of the ocean. Like, that's the whole <laughs> that's the whole goal. And then it's just how much shit you can throw at people. That's some solid advice. Hey, guys at home, Brian, to quote Brian, stay out of the bottom of the ocean. Just just don't go there. <laughs> don't be at the do bottom that. of the ocean. Yeah, just don't do it. <laughs> there's yeah, there's, there's not like any there. Yeah, there, there really is. It's like. There's there's no rom-coms happening down there, you know? <laughs> like, it's one of those things. And there's, like... And, you know, and I, I also felt like there was, like... um Like, there are, like, bottom-of-the-ocean movies, but it, it felt like they're... You know, it's like you get, like, a space disaster kind of a couple times a year. Um, but, like, I felt like that was such an area where, you know, you you weren't... You weren't getting, like, that gravity experience kind of in a in a theater, um, yeah. especially, and it's like something where, you know, uh, it's imminently closer and more, I guess not attainable, but it's just, you know, the ocean is really stressful. <laughs> um, yeah. and especially like as people are getting more and more, uh, yeah, you know, I don't know if cocky is the word, but you know, as, as that kind of deeply exploration kind of keeps taking off. Like I remember when I was a kid reading the Meg, which they made into the, oh, yeah. the state of the movie, but like the, the book had a lot of that kind of like we're you know messing around down there and, and things are going bad um and then just like the idea of like you know a giant megalodon is, is so fun but then it felt like with this it was like if they were messing around down there and there was just a whole kind of bizarre monster culture that was happening that they just kind of let loose um it just felt you know i just want to see people get torn apart by monsters <laughs> so, oh, don't we all yeah, but it also felt like the kind of thing, it's like you don't, you know, I like any kind, anytime you can like have like a horror set up where you don't have weapons is, you know, especially with monsters, it's so great. Because I feel like there's a lot of monster movies where it's just, you know, people unloading rounds and shit. Um, but it felt like a kind of thing where you're like, you're just down there, you can't hide, you're just like completely exposed. 
and there's nothing and if also if you don't keep moving you die so it was just like this kind of you know even when you're attacked you're like well you know if i survive like i still have to keep moving during the attacks or else i'm definitely going to die um so it felt like a uh a nice recipe for all of my nightmares (laughs) and how yeah, no, like, I, it did give me kind of that survival horror vibe, you know, because, like, uh, one of my favorite video games is Resident Evil, and, you know, they really hit hit that on the head that, you know, it's like a lot of monsters, little resources, and I yeah. felt like that was kind of the same, uh, the same si- a similar situation with underwater, just because, like, these are deep sea miners, not space marines, so, like, they just kind of yeah. cobble together some stuff to try and uh, survive. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, so I'm glad you guys dug it. Oh yeah, we loved it. In fact, I'll I'll bet this is not the last time we talk about it during this conversation. Yeah, <laughs> great. But let's let's backtrack a little bit. Um, let's talk about the babysitter. Sure. Um, how did that come up? Because the babysitter was weird because it kind of came out of nowhere on Netflix, and I mean, everybody I've talked to, lo- not in like a the exorcist way just in like a fun splattery schlocky way they love the babysitter how did that come about i mean with with mick g and all was it an original story that you brought to him or how how did that all happen yeah um so it was a spec script that i had written um um i can't remember what year it was but his company had uh picked it up um they'd offered like progress to production um kind of language which meant like if they don't make it in like a i think it was six months or something like you know i i get it that kind of stuff and then they'd been doing the rounds of interviewing directors and then mcgee raised his hand as it being something he would want to try his hand at um and um then we were at new line for a minute and then uh, at some point in in post i think that's when it wound up at, at netflix yeah you didn't have anything to do with this with killer queen right it's no, just no no based no. on your characters okay my buddy wrote it i mean i'm i'm you know i'm working with uh sam on a on a project that i'm producing next year um that jimmy uh the, one of the writers of killer queen is uh hoping to to write and direct um so i'm, I'm still enmeshed with those kids um but i I was busy on uh spontaneous when they were getting going on killer queen and and also well your work on underwater was probably done but (laughs) i mean yeah i was done on underwater in like 2015 i think and then because underwater got delayed a bunch um through no fault of the movies just during like the fox disney sale so it's like not as um new as 2020 makes it scene like I, I think they filmed it in 2017 i might be way off um but they just got you know and there was a bunch of movies that kind of got in the same uh boat of like that you know when there's giant corporations merging it just takes everything so much longer to kind of figure out everything so i yeah i was done on underwater uh well before um killer queen i think before i shot spontaneous yeah sounds like everybody was done on underwater <laughs> long before i mean if they shot it in 2017 but <laughs> i think i might i, I it, it, it was 17 or it must have been 17 because i shot spontaneous in the start of 18 and i was i'm pretty sure they were done when i started shooting but it's everything's a blur now so <laughs> time has no meaning 
Yeah, it's crazy. Um, this this year has absolutely been a blur. <laughs> it's it's weird to think underwater was the beginning of this year. Yeah, because it seems like it was so much longer ago. But yeah, I know because I have a I have a a daughter and we couldn't like we kept trying to figure out when we could go see underwater and she wasn't one yet. So and that was February and then. Um, we kept trying to like get groups of people to go, but it was so complicated because we needed to like have someone watch our 11 month old at the time. Um, and then it was out of theaters <laughs> so quickly. <laughs> and then the, and then the pandemic hit. So it was just kind of like this, uh, wild kind of time where I was like, oh yeah, I did have this movie come out, but it feels like it got, um, absorbed in all the, the chaos. But I'm hoping at some point, I assume it'll like go to HBO or, something oh. or like a streamer and then i feel like that's when people will kind of discover it what's the last movie you saw in a theater before the pandemic star hit? wars star oh. wars like the rise of skywalker yeah you know once you have like a, a kiddo it's tougher yeah. to to go out and so we were at my wife's home in michigan when skywalker <laughs> dropped and so the, the baby could stay with um our uh my in-laws and we went and saw that with some of the the nieces and nephews but it was great um like I, my in-laws loved underwater which was like my favorite nice. i feel like the best phone calls uh to get are when your in-laws are like you're not a piece of shit you're doing all right <laughs> isn't it a great feeling like when you when you get that like nice reaffirming hey you did this one thing and it was pretty great <laughs> yeah my in-laws, my in-laws have always been great too but it's like i i'm always like particularly thrilled where it's like they're like you know, they go see the movie and they're like, they just loved, like, uh, my father-in-law really loved, um, loved it. And I was like, oh, this is, this is great. Like, this is, you know, the only reviews I care, or I should care about are, are the people that, uh, you know, could really make my life difficult if they hated me. <laughs> <laughs> so it works out. Yeah. But Skywalker was the last, uh, one. I remember it was like out of focus the whole time. And I kept leaving the theater being like, it's out of focus. And like the people in Kalamazoo were just like. I don't know what that means. <laughs> That's happened to me a few times. I did that at the uh, Arclight in Hollywood with Wonder Woman. I came out and I complained and they're like, yeah, there's nothing we can do. It's a digital projector. And I'm like, listen, lady, I used to project. I know what's going on. I had a few beforehand, but. Yeah, it's it's yeah. it's not hard to fix, which makes it like all uh, the more infuriating well, where you just want, like, want to like go into the booth and just like. I did that once. In <laughs> one second, fix the problem. I did that with uh, Girl with the Dragon Tattoo. It was one of the last 35 millimeter movies in my uh, college town uh, to be yeah. playing. And it was out of focus and not framed right. So the bottom was at the top. And I went up to the front, complained. No one was there. And like, I got so pissed. I was like, fuck this. And I went up into the booth. No one was in the booth. So I just adjusted it myself and went back downstairs and <laughs> finished the movie. I sent them a long email about it and stuff. And they were like, oh, here's six free tickets. I'm like, I don't want to see any more fucking movies at your theater if you're going to present them like that. I know. It's like one of those things that's like, I, I feel like because the Skywalker viewing experience was so crummy, it's made me a little like... I still really miss going to the movies, but it's made me like a little less um, miserable, I guess, where I'm like, I really miss the theatrical experience, but I'm also like the last couple of times I went, like it was out of focus. I know it's like those things where I'm like at home, you know, it looks and sounds really good. (laughs) So (laughs) out of curiosity, uh, have you considered going to the drive-in? Yeah, I, we have, again, it's mostly just because if, you know, it depends on how much trouble I want to get into. Cause if I go, that means my wife can't go. Um, mm. 
And uh, it's also pretty far. We're in Burbank, so it's not like the closest, which is so stupid. It feels like, you know, we have a bunch of Ikeas with massive parking lots. Like, let's turn right. these things yeah. into drive-ins um, or just like movie theater parking lots. Um, but um, I haven't. Yeah, I mean, I, that's the I, I, I won't go into a theater until this is, you know, really low numbers and a vaccine. And so, you, you know, unless there's you know, screeners for like the guild awards and stuff. Like, I don't know when I'm seeing tenant, but I know it's at the drive-in and I'd love to go, but, um, it's, yeah, it's like, it's way more complicated to see a drive-in in LA than you would think. You'd think there would be more local ones. Yeah. Even like yeah. the, even like at the dome, like they have that, uh, roof, uh, parking lot and it's like, just put a screen up there. You know, there's just so many places you could put, um, screens where some of these theaters could be, you know, cashing in a little bit of um money because i think like like tenant what made like two million dollars this year it's like this thing's not working um yeah so it's like let's like put up a drive-in in the parking lots and if like if i think if you like if the arc light was like you can go see tenant inside or outside i feel like a lot of people would be really down like i don't know yeah, yeah. i, I I've, I've been like I, I guess I think Sony's the only pl- studio that's doing drive-in stuff at like their backlots, and that feels like yeah. such an opportunity to like just make like you're not gonna make millions, but you know every little bit helps right now. IFC, there was a stretch of about two months where IFC was winning the box office every week yeah. because they were releasing stuff like you know the Wretched, True History, the Kelly Gang, you know they they were releasing stuff to. And IFC's killing this year. We've discussed that so much because they're just slaying. But let's let's talk about spontaneous. Because yeah, that's what we're here yeah. to do. <laughs> now that we've now that we've gotten underwater out of our system and, and the babysitter. Not enough monsters uh, in spontaneous. I'll, that's a criticism I have about it. <laughs> yeah. Well, that's that's kind of what. Um, that was kind of my first impression of it. It almost is like a teenage rom com. Yeah. But it just so happens that there's this ticking bomb of anybody can explode at any time under it. Where did the, the inspiration for spontaneous come from? Sure. Well, it's a, it's a great uh, book that Aaron Starmer wrote that came out a couple years uh, ago. And then I got sent when it was like, in it's like, you know, galleys form or whatever they call it. Um, and it just felt like it was such a, you know, cause like spontaneous combustion is always like, and there's, you know, there's a cup, there's a handful of combustion movies, um, that kind of take like the Crichton path with it, I guess. Mm. Um, but it feels really hard. It felt to me like one of those ideas, like I would like, I'd love to do something with that, but it, like, it's really hard to like build an actual narrative around this thing that is spontaneous. Um, and, uh, especially without getting into like thriller territory or like too much of like a contagion territory. Cause then it's just, um, and also like what's like the uh like the joy of watching a movie where like scanners happen like the pop and scanners <laughs> happens like 70 times or something like it just seems like like i couldn't I, I never could figure out like a a way to like hang a hat on the idea and then aaron did and I kind of once he put it into high school um you know i i thought like it just clicked so clearly and one of the things i, I loved about it that we talked about a lot like in prep and I've talked with Aaron about is that it, it does feel, and it's what I talked to the actors about. It's like, you know, it's like fall on our stars or like a John Hughes movie mm. that Cronenberg is just 
drunkenly like bursting onto the set and <laughs> fucking up. And he's just like, it's like, so like every time you'd be like, oh, I'm going to get like my like la di da YA thing, like Cronenberg just like coming onto the set and like being like, and now he explodes. And it just felt like this, like, <laughs> this really bizarre kind of thing where Catherine's character is trying to kind of live her John Hughes um, experience. And then, you know, David Cronenberg, or I guess both Cronenbergs now, but, you know, a Cronenberg <laughs> is, try- is just trying to ruin her experience. And it felt like a really fun way to talk about, you know, thematically all the stuff that was really interesting to me. But then also, you know, I, I feel like um, you have like the Monster Squad poster above your head, but I feel like there's like <laughs> like those kind of like gateway horror movies that aren't quite horror movies or something that I've always loved. And my wife was never like a horror nut, and she's kind of started getting into it because of like some of like those like gateway horror um yeah. kind of stuff and you know i don't necessarily know if i think spontaneous is a horror movie but i think it's like if i was like 12 and i was like oh i really like seeing these people explode um <laughs> like i could see like the for me i was like i could see the train of thought of like kids being like i want i'm i can actually hang with gory things because i think that was one of the cool things about it too is like a lot of people being scared to watch it because they didn't like gore and then kind of afterwards them being really kind of and it's not the goriest movie but it's like you know kids are bloodily exploding but then kind of being into it and kind of being into like all, I, probably what all of us were like when we were like six years old and just being like you can like shoot blood at people um it, like seeing like them kind of get into like how do you make something gory and kind of like you know that that kind of like little trigger of a thing of people that wouldn't normally watch a horror movie can get you know, you kind of are sneaking a horror movie in and hopefully like ruining them for the future. So it felt like a lot of the things that I love, cause it was like, you know, it's kind of like a sneak attack horror movie where if you're, you know, 12 or, or younger, even like it could, it could spark that love of horror. Cause it feels like now for the most part too, there's not a ton of those gateway kind of stuff or they're, or they're really soft. And I, I really like that first goosebumps. Um, yeah. but it doesn't, um, but it, it, you know, it, that's very aimed at, 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 um, kids and it's very like, it is a, you know, it's like a kid horror as opposed to something that felt a little sneakier, which is something that I kind of, I kind of dug playing with. You got like John Hughes by way of Cronenberg is what spontaneous. <laughs> kind of is. Yeah. That was, that was like the pitch that was like, and I can't remember that, that might've even been the author's, um, pitch, but it just felt, I really like those things where, um, you know, it's two things that really should not go together. And then you really <laughs> smash them together. Like, even on Babysitter, and it's less so in, in the movie, because um, the movie's so stylized. But, um, like, I really, like, in the script, like, it was really, like, that first 30 pages was very Sundance indie film. Um, and, like, I remember we got passes from, like, not a couple horror companies when we went out with the script, because they were just like, oh, we just don't do, like, coming-of-age dramas. Because um, they just didn't get to the part where, you know this other movie just takes over and ruins yeah. it. And so that's always been something tonally I'm, I'm really interested in. It is like having like one kind of movie, you start fighting with another kind of movie on screen. Um, and spontaneous felt like, you know, kind of like the apex of that, where you're doing like a young, you're doing like all like the fall on our star stuff. And then you're just blowing up 40 kids <laughs> at the same time. How, how did the casting come to into play? Because for me, the, the, the relationship between Mara and Dylan is, that's the whole movie right there. Yeah. It's just so genuine and so real. And I don't think two other actors could have done that, or at least not as well. So, I mean, how did you land on casting uh, Charlie Plummer and, and Catherine Langsford? Catherine was a lot 
easier in terms of I had known her a little bit. Like we had met a couple times on other things that didn't wind up um, getting made, and I just always loved her. And so um, she was rapping, she was filming um, her her Netflix show Thirteen Reasons Why when uh, we sent her the script. Um, and so she got involved pretty early, and then the Dylan role took a lot longer. And part of that too, it was there wasn't a lot because because she was filming Thirteen Reasons, and I was in LA. Um, like there wasn't like a lot of opportunity. I think we had like one day where she tested with some other actors, um, and it was like a really specific thing where I feel like a lot of like teen romances or like a lot of like rom coms in general are really. Or maybe not the rom-com part, but a lot of those romances are, like, really intense and, like, really steamy. And, like, they always are saying, like, very, like, eloquent, poetic things to each other. Um, yeah. And I really wanted them to be kind of dorky together. Like, I, I wanted it to feel like they just really enjoyed spending time together. And they were always, like, making each other laugh. Because I felt like, and again, like, it's kind of like a, the larger picture tonally. But, you know, if you have a movie where 40 kids are dying and you don't want it to be elephant um you know it's a lot of work to kind of make that all mesh and 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 feel like an enjoyable movie going experience and so charlie had auditioned um i think right as um his really scott movie had come out um and he was 17 at the time i think and I, I, we were all, we loved him, but we were like, is, does he feel like a little too? Does he look a little too much younger than Catherine um, at the time to like make this feel like a good relationship? And then I think we got pushed for a few months. For, I can't remember why. And then we were still had to cast the role. And then I was in prep up in Vancouver, um, and uh, it was kind of getting down to, to crunch time. And uh, Charlie could be in LA but I couldn't be in LA but Catherine was in LA and so the two of them just got dinner one night and I basically told Catherine I was like look if you feel if you feel like he's the guy like tell me and he's he's the guy like I trust you um and uh she was like you know they came she came out of the dinner and was like he's totally the guy we just laugh the whole time it's exactly what you want um he doesn't feel younger than me at all it's gonna be great and so I just trusted her um implicitly and then the first time I saw them together was basically on set and then I was just like I got really fucking lucky because <laughs> <laughs> they are really they are really fun and I, I I had skyped and called and talked with Charlie a bunch but like you know it's it's really scary when you don't see them together until you know they're together uh, on film um and not knowing like and that. again it's the whole movie and and so it's like if that you know if that doesn't sparkle you're just kind of treading water for 90 minutes um yeah. they're they're perfect though yeah they but they get that. along great oh. yeah and, that, and i think okay. charlie really clicked into like my job in this movie is just to kind of make Catherine like laugh as much as i i can um and it, i think it really comes across like in their relationships where it just seems like they're having a lot of fun together. Um, like everything in the world around them is, is, you know, really extreme and, and terrible. Um, but it really does seem like, you know, they're just having a blast, um, which I feel like you don't really see a lot of in re relationship movies, especially like teen relationship stuff. Like it always feels like it's very heavy or very like, you know, this relationship is life or death, but there's no, 
conflict in their relationship. Like, he's just loves this girl and she's like this guy's great and then that's like the whole um amount of conflict like that's actually interpersonal and then everything else is um you know the, oh, the world's ending around us but it's really fun to like hang out and be goofy and um be dis- distracted from the end of the world as opposed to just like you know these kind of uh doom related doom uh related kind of relationship things yeah i was gonna say that's uh, one of the things I really loved about their relationship, like the E.T. Elliot scene in particular cracked me up. Cool. Yeah, that was like one of those things where um, it, when that scene happens, like I, I and it was something I talked about with Catherine a lot where she's a little caustic in the movie. Um, but it was like, you know, she really wanted to find that line of not feeling like she's a psychopath where she doesn't care that, you know, 40 kids around her are dying. Um, and so it was like finding like those moments where you could really like understand like, Oh, everything that's happening is, is having a weight on her, but she's just doing everything she can to kind of push it away by being silly. And then once you're like in, you know, tense like that, like the, you know, the first thing that, I mean, until like, I guess COVID, but like the first thing that, you know, comes into your head is for, for me was the ET thing. And it just felt like the funniest, or like the funniest thing she could do in that moment is like, see that this boy that she loves is really stressed out and, and having a hard time. And instead of doing the, like, it's okay, we're going to get through this, just like be a complete nerd, um, and be as silly as possible. And like how it does like completely like change, and help him kind of through this difficult um, experience that he's going through. And it felt like, again, like it's like those things in, in movies that I feel like I don't see enough of where like, I get like the, the really um, the heavy, like emotional, like we're going to get through this kind of thing. Um, but in my life, like I know I would, that would be all subtextual and I would say something really stupid and that would be how I deal with the end of the world. And I, you know, I think that's been proven the last couple of months in our household. Um, so, um, yeah. And so that was just like finding like those moments. And a lot of them were in the book too. It was just like finding these moments where, uh, Mara could take, and, and Dylan could take like a, um, a serious path, but instead they like just are really silly and not even like, cause it's a comedy, but just because they, they, I think they know how hard it is to talk about, how their world is ending and it's just a lot more enjoyable if they just don't, but they know what everyone, each other is saying. Um, and it, but it's, they're just like, instead of like just being like, Oh, everyone is dying all the time around us. Like we can, we can not talk about it cause it's, we're covered in blood the whole movie. Um, uh, so that, that was kind of the point. And then it's been tough in the marketing cause they actually don't talk about, people exploding that much in the movie because it's such a visual thing. Um, So it kind of seems dumb for people to be like, everyone's exploding, like, repeatedly verbally. Um, (laughs) And so I think every time someone mentions exploding, it's in the trailer. And then we can't show any of the exploding because it's, you know, of the MPAA and stuff. And so it's been, like, this um, fun lesson uh, to learn where I was like, oh, I probably should have had characters reference the fact that they were exploding more just for marketing purposes. Um, Yeah. But again, it's like that thing where, you know, it, 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 the movie doesn't lack exploding kids. So it wasn't something I was no. thinking about, like, I should explain mm. that kids are exploding when, you know, everyone is covered in blood, you know, the whole movie, basically. <laughs> yeah. And on the exploding kids, uh, I wanted to ask how the uh, effects were handled for that. Was that uh, practical, CG, a mixture of both? It's, I would say it's predominantly practical. Um 
And so we would have like these blood cannons, basically, um, which are exactly what they sound like. They're like these kind of like you know fire extinguisher looking things that have like this giant like hose nozzle on them. And uh, oh, yeah. we did a bunch of tests about like you know how fast it could go, how you know how much it could go, um, and there would be some where you could make it like really. Uh, like chunky and like nauseating kind of and it was, so it was a lot of testing to find out like again like what is like baby's first horror movie explosion kind of thing where it was like what's the version where you get the fact that a kid just exploded and they're full of blood but you're not getting into like bones and hair and like intestines and that kind of um stuff and so it was mostly um practical and then because it's a, a nozzle um you'll, you'd see like the nozzle ring kind of hit on the walls or on people um like it would just be like this perfect circle of no blood in the middle of like this big splatter and so we used cg to kind of fill in that and then um uh but yeah even like for the most part you know even like the the big explosions that are on screen like not a there's there's definitely cg going on but there's no like purely um cg explosion like it's a lot of like you know you have an actor then you swap the actor out and then you put in the cannon and the cannon explodes um and then you 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 merge all of those things together um and uh yeah it was just one of those things you know i i, I feel like cg uh blood has never really looked good um and so just having as much of like that practical liquid as possible um really helps and then it also helps the like you know it was uh it's fun to get hit with that if you're an actor and i got hit with it a ton but it, it helps so much where you're like you know it'd be like one thing if i was just like oh you know i got covered and we we did we filmed like dry runs because you know we're an indie movie and so we don't have like a ton of time to reset um and but like it would be like an hour to reset anytime we had to do a second take um which is is death for a, a movie of this size um because all your actors have to get showers and then dry off, and then you have to like completely clean the set. But there's just gallons of blood, so it's very hard to clean the set. Um, so we did basically one take of all the blood stuff, but we would film takes without blood in case we were like, well, that explosion was a disaster, but we'll just have to do a CG version because we need to keep going. So I, I could probably put together a movie of just kids being like, oh, and it would be, it'd be really bad and it's just some, and it's like not a performance thing but it's just so much different if you know you act like you got hit by a water balloon and you got hit by a water balloon um there's a major difference yeah it's a major oh, yeah. difference yeah and so you know has and then it's also you know it, it is you know one of the hard things is you know emotionally what's happening is someone's dying and so you don't want to react like you're having a great time but it's super fun it felt like you were kind of at, like this really sicko water park um because it's basically just getting hit with like warm sugar water um so it tasted like really sweet and like one of the things we like would have to rehearse with like the kids that really get hit with it um is not to laugh when you get hit with it because like your first reaction is to like laugh because it's this really funny feeling and then it's sticky and sugary so everything about it's kind of bizarrely pleasant um and then there's just such a tension where like if i'm holding like a gun at you and you're trying to like not act like there's a gun and then you get hit like that releases is kind of like a ah um so one of the actresses uh this great young actress caitlin bernard had to like we had to she got she gets hit 
in the first scene and a couple other times. And it was really just like, you're really giving like a full performance because it's, you're trying so hard to not laugh, but because, you know, a kid's just died in front of you, but it's, the feeling is very hilarious and, and, and silly. Um, and so that was kind of the trick with the blood. It was making it practical, but then also not giggling through it. And like, there's a couple background people like in, throughout the movie, you can kind of see they get hit and instantly kind of, you know, kind of do like the Jimmy Fallon on SNL thing where they're trying to not laugh, but they're doing a really bad job. So it's a lot of like, kind of like this. Um, I really, I don't think anyone will be able to see what I just did because it's a podcast, <laughs> but it's like a lot of like background guys trying to, to not ruin takes. Um, uh, but it's like it's a really it's a really funny feeling. Um, so that was that was practically the hardest part about it was the FX guys were so um, great. Uh, but it was then it was just like getting the actors to like know like you cannot laugh when you get hit because you're going to get hit like 40 times the next two hours. <laughs> so, <laughs> yeah. OK, cool. Well, I think we, we are wrapping up here. So uh, thank you, Brian, very much for joining us here. And um, w- uh, where can people, do you have social media that people can follow you on? Where can people find you to, to get the newest from you? Yeah, I'm on, uh, I think all like Instagram, Twitter and Letterboxd. And I think it's just Brian Duffield. Okay. Just your name. Okay. Yeah, I think, I think so. Um, <laughs> I, I, I feel like I should check, but I'm pretty sure it's just my name. <laughs> We'll track it down and we'll give links. Uh, <laughs> um, our our theme song is by Restless Spirit, who uh, they're they're using our theme song in some uh, internet TV show. Did you guys hear about this? What? No. Yeah, it's 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 blowing up. Yeah, Young Grays is the name of the song, and they're we were there first though. We've been using it for like three years. <laughs> Our artwork is by Chris Fisher, so give him a like. Uh, where can we find you guys on the socials? Jacob? Uh, well, you can find me at uh, on Twitter at Jacob Davison underscore. Uh, that's J-A-C-O-B-D-A-V-S-O-N underscore. On Instagram, Jacob underscore uh, Davison and thanks for Brian for reminding me to, pl- to plug this uh, you can find me on Letterboxd as uh, Imaginos I-M-A-G-I-N-O-S and you Korea where can we find you uh, you can find me on Instagram and Twitter as Korean Barbecue that's C-O-R-R-E-I-A-N B-B-Q uh, I'm also on Letterboxd but it, I just I just do it to keep track with a diary I don't post reviews <laughs> Don't look me up on there. Yeah. It's boring. That's me too. Do you really need to know how many times I watch Streets of Fire a year? Like, that's that's all it's <laughs> yeah, no, for. No, I, I, this is something I'm invested in. Yeah. You follow Jacob. He's much more interesting. <laughs> I find it so helpful. Yeah. I'm the same way on Letterboxd. I use it as a diary, but I don't yeah. sit any reviews. So, I mean, you can find me on there. I don't even know my username. It's probably just my name. Probably just James J. Edwards. Same. But um, on Twitter, I am Cinema Ferite. That's Verite, but with fear. So it's F-E-A-R-I-T-E. And you can find all three of us at the Ion Horror Facebook page, the iHorror Facebook page, the Ion Horror Twitter, the Ion Horror Instagram. Am I missing any Korea? He's our social media guru. I don't know about guru, but like, yeah, I have it on my <laughs> phone. So, <laughs> oh, okay. Uh, so y- y- we're not hard to get a hold of. Uh, or at iHorror.com. If all else fails, you can find us all there. So, um, again, Brian, thank you very yeah. much for joining us. Thank you guys. And everybody go see spontaneous out is it the second october second uh second and then the sixth on uh vod and all all that stuff and then like i think sometime in november is the the physical release 
Okay. Cool. I think that this episode is going to post on the 5th. So tomorrow on I'm VOD. that shit. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Hopefully, hopefully you went out and saw it in a theater on Friday. Uh, <laughs> cool. So, um, and definitely go see it. It's a, it's a fun, charming film yeah. with like lots of people exploding into bloody messes. It's a, it's a great <laughs> date movie. My fiance and I enjoyed it when we watched it oh, last great. night. So yeah, the next one, will, the next movie I do will be scarier. Um, yeah. <laughs> but this felt, I felt like I needed to get like the, the, the gateway one out of the way. What more of a pitch do you need than John Hughes meets? David Cronenberg. Yeah, just John John Hughes just beaten by David Cronenberg. Yeah, just beaten down. Now that's a visual. I do have to say that seven that line in the movie about seven months, uh try not to spoil it too much, but when they go, Oh, it's been seven months, that hit a bit too hard last night. Uh, oh god, yeah, I didn't even think about that. <laughs> yeah, I was oh, sitting there, no. I was like, oh, that line feels hits a little different these days, doesn't it? <laughs> that's been like one of the fresh it's like frustrating in like a way that it's no one's fault, but you know, we finished the movie last year and so um it's been this this kind of like i'll text like charlie and Catherine, kind of throughout like as like something in the real world happens where i'm just kind of like oh no it's so on the nose now but it was so like outlandish when we filmed it um so i hope people aren't like annoyed by how on the nose it is because it was done in a way where we were just like like we i remember we were filming and we were like we never talked about like an actual pandemic happening. We were like, and there's a couple lines about it. Like when we were filming, like we were definitely like talking a lot about like nuclear war and stuff like that. And I was like, oh, this is it'd be great if like we get this movie out before we're nuked. Um, <laughs> and now it's just like all these things in the movie that are like, I'm like, oh, like I learned so much more about like pandemic response. Like I can see all the inaccuracies in the movie because like. It's, you know, I didn't have, like, Dr. Fauci telling us how to do things. I was about to say, you, you, there's no way this was made full moon style and made during the pandemic. So I think you guys are more than good. <laughs> no, yeah, for sure. I, I, think, I think we'll get, uh, I think people will be a little graceful with how on the nose we are. Yeah, I mean, thematically, it's the movie of the year. It, it's, it's blunt. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Okay, cool. We, we signed off like 10 minutes ago, and here we are still talking. Uh, yeah. we, <laughs> we're having too much fun. Yeah. We, yeah. No, that, that's the sign of a good interview when we, when we can't stop. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> so we will, see, we will see you guys next time. So uh, for me, I'm James J. Edwards. I'm Jacob Davison. I'm Jonathan Korea. Oh, and I'm Brian Duffield. <laughs> Keep your eye on horror.